every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, a ministry of 1-8 Catalyst, where we are pursuing the completion of the Great Commission worldwide. To learn more about our work or to listen to previous episodes, please visit our website at 1-8, spelled out in word form, catalyst.org. That's 1-8-catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this, the 73rd episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am your host, Mike Falkenstein, here in the new 1-8 Catalyst podcast studio. Actually, the studio is the same room, but we've done a bunch of upgrades to the table, our podcast table. We're just getting ready to do some other video content. Well, we have up to four people in this room doing some video content around uh, missions and uh, the Great Commission. And so we're really excited about uh, all that God is doing, and we're so excited that you're here with us. Unfortunately, again, I am without my co-host, Ken Watmore. Actually, you can really be praying for him. His father recently just passed away, and so he's having to take care of some of those details. And so we're praying for you, dear brother. I know you're listening, and so we're so thankful for you. And um, look forward to having you back on the podcast. So this episode, I need to keep my comments very sweet and very short because we have a interview with one of the key guys over at Wycliffe Associates. You know, at 1A Catalyst, one of the two main things that we do is we're reaching and discipling those without Jesus is what we call reaching unreached and unengaged people groups. And so we have the Bible translation, evangelism, church planting, and then theological training within these unreached and unengaged people groups. Starting in China, uh, we've got, I think, our first project in India starting up here soon. And so we're real excited about that. And so Dan Kramer and his guys at Wycliffe Associates have become our, really our new Bible translation partners. And we couldn't be any more thrilled to be working together with them. And so I wanted to, I had asked uh, Dan if he'd be willing to come on the podcast and give sort of an overview of Wycliffe Associates, what they do, and then this very revolutionary Bible translation method called the MAST translation method, where rather than a translation taking years and years and years, uh, the translation process in a lot of times is weeks or months. And so with some 1,300 languages still without the Bible, that's the kind of innovation that we need, right, to be able to truly finish the task. So let's get right to it. This is my interview with Dan Kramer. So excited to have you all here. And I'll be back with you immediately following the end of the interview. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this latest podcast. I have on the line, we've got another interview episode. And we've got on the line Dan Kramer, who works with Wycliffe Associates in Orlando. And Dan, it's great to have you on the podcast. 
Thank you. I'm privileged to be here, and so I look forward to whatever we discuss in the next few minutes. Yeah, well, it's been fun for us here at 1-8 Catalyst to learn more about the ministry of Wycliffe Associates and what you guys are doing. And as you know, Dan, I won't, well, this probably needs to be another episode of the podcast, but this, just the way that God brought us together is really incredible, I think. Certainly a testament to his providence, you know, just as one door in Bible translation is closing for us, we got to know about you guys, and so maybe what we start with this is just if you could give everyone kind of a, a quick hit version of who is Wycliffe Associates, what do you guys do, kind of start with kind of an intro to your ministry. I sure could. We were um, born in 1967, so we're just over 50 years old. And we were created by businessmen who set out to impact Bible translation globally. And so the first thing was an identification of all the things that were happening in Bible translation that if we could relieve those burdens, it could happen faster. And so we became a support to many entities around. And over time, that's changed. And so we're continuing to do that just in different ways. Whereas 50 years ago, it was the Western organizations that were around the world and training Westerners to go abroad. Today, it's very different. The church has grown. And so we're supporting Bible translation through the church and their needs for identifying, hey, we need this here. How can you help us? And what are the resources that you can provide? So it began with things like construction, teachers, even finance 50 years ago. Today, it looks more like technology, training, and other infrastructural tools to actually own translation within the local church. Oh, that's really great. So in all of that, what is your part in that? What is your role? I'm the director of education services, and even my scope of work has changed over 10 years. So I originally came on to provide English programs to Bible translation around the world. And that was the medium of communication. When you had Westerners going, Westerners financing, and Westerners doing all the training and computer programming, it was English-dominated. So much like pilots learning English so they could function around the world in a common language of infrastructure, Bible translation worked the same. Well, that's changed drastically in the last five years. And so the formula flipped somewhere along the way. So my role has changed drastically from providing English programs and now to provide training programs for methodology and Bible translation. And that came through a request of a field partner that we were formerly training in translation, uh, sorry, in English, but now we provide the translation program out of that request because they asked for it. So we have several different programs um, related to that, and ours is to develop any methodology we can to educationally impact Bible translation. Wow. That sounds exciting. So I know that with our ministry, we're now using the Wycliffe Associates Bible Translation Method. And I would love, rather than me tell a lot about, I would be able to tell a little bit about our experience with this master translation method. Uh, But you kind of hinted on it, right, that there was a partner who had asked for some help. And then you all had developed this, what is really sort of a new method for Bible translation. So sort of introduce that, how that came about, and as much as you want to tell about these, because we're just learning about it, right, these eight steps that go that uh, a Bible translator goes through 
kind of introduce people to this translation method and how it works. Sure, yeah. And the thing to go back to is is uh, a partner actually requesting it from us. So we did not set out to develop a Bible translation methodology. We were partnering with an organization who asked us to do that. When the question came to me, I stepped back and I thought, I don't really know what you're asking. And the person requesting it explained a little bit more and said, you have an English program that is fun and we enjoy it. It's fast. We learn faster than anything that we've seen in English teaching. And in some strange way, we have a voice into it. We can determine how the program should fit our needs. And he said, could you do that for Bible translation? And I was really intrigued by the question, but terrified of the question at the same time. And really oh, right. had that, that Moses moment of, well, who am I? I was just supporting all of these efforts that were out there. So I, I became a student and I asked them to teach me what do they currently do said maybe I could work up some kind of curriculum or lessons that might fit and enhance what they do. And as I, I tried to approach that, I learned about their process and I tried to look at it from an educator's point of view. And when I did, I tried to give my first offering to them of saying, could we do this to help your program? And it didn't work. Nothing worked as far as my recommendation goes until I said, they want something fresh and new, and I can't think in a linguistic mind like they approach translation from. I needed to approach it from an English teaching mind or a language perspective mind. When I did that, different things started to happen on paper. And I, I said some familiar things from my English teaching background. One is language has a pace and a flow. And that was really the first thing that I wanted to look at. And then if we teach them how to draft and do that well, we can time that. And never before in Bible translation did we have a timeline that was predictive versus then reflective. So the, the world of Bible translation had always had this pace of 10 to 20 years, depending on who was doing the translation, but it was always a reflective pace. What had people done over the decade? This was going in and saying, we know what learners can do in language, so let's predict that they could draft something in a certain amount of time. And so that became the math method. And, well, let's try it. Let's just go to Nepal, where the request was, and let's try to do some simple steps of education to see if drafting in this new way could work. And so we set out to do that in June of 2014. And it was a weaving of simple steps. And I don't know if you wanted me to go into those right away or tell more of the story about Nepal and how we got there, which is better for you and your audience. Oh, right. Well, certainly it sounds like maybe the one thing to talk about is it sounds like this first attempt in Nepal went well, because then you continue to refine it and do it more, right? Yeah, yeah. And we we went in with our eyes open. We part we were partnering with a Bible translation organization that was not new. So they knew what this should look like at the end as far as textual quality. And then we brought two consultants. Okay, and consultants are the people who judge quality in the traditional Bible translation world. So we wanted that present right from the beginning. We attracted them from two different organizations. So we brought all that to the table and said, we're going to do our method and then we're going to check it. We're going to put it right in front of them and test it. And we're going to see if we hit a pace that we're predicting. And so when we went there, our test group was with four different languages, and these four languages all had experience, and we did the book of Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. Um, so not an easy book. And said, so let's, over a week time of translation, let's see how much they can get done. And if they can get in these small teams of translators, if they can get these books done, um, we will have met our pace match 
for accelerating translation. So we did that, and then we checked it, and we found good results on both ends. They did meet the pace of translation, and they did meet the standard of quality that was accepted by the, the people that we brought in. And so that put the first spark of news around the world for a new methodology, which we named MAST, um, because we literally tried to make a name for it that fit what we, we were doing. And MAST stands for Mobilize Assistance Supporting Translation. And that's how we saw ourselves, is that we were going to mobilize. We were the helpers, and they were going to own the translation methodology, which was which was asked of us. And so we became a support arm to their efforts in the, in the country. Okay, so you found this new method. Tell folks a little bit about, because you just mentioned, right, that they kind of previously were looking at 10 to 20 years. I know the last attempt that we had to work with a translation organization, it were, they were talking to us about seven to nine years was, so maybe they'd got it down to seven to nine. But I mean, this mass method is, in terms of time frame, it's much different, isn't it? It is. It is very different. And one of the things that we basically look at is first, who is our audience of translators? Okay. And so, so there are certain requirements or parameters around a timeline. Okay. And that first, obviously, when you do translation, requires bilingualism. Okay. And so, so every person that is bilingual has a skill set of two languages. So if we have fluent in two, those two languages, we have timelines that are drastically different. Okay, and so if they come in with a reading, writing, speaking, listening skill that has fluency in their first language, their mother tongue, and the second language, okay, the language of tra that you translate from, we are predicting translations on a small team of about a year. If you have a larger team that can scale up, you can make it faster. And so we will approach sometimes teams of 20, 30, 40 people. Well, you can see this unfold in weeks, and you can get a New Testament. Wow translated in weeks. And so likewise, though, if you bring people to the table and their bilingualism is weaker and their literacy is weaker, well, then you have an extended amount of time. And so you're going to stretch things out. But that's still an amazing thing because prior translation models would never even consider bringing that to the table. And so we're still removing barriers, whereas some villages in the world, before that seven to nine years can begin in a fast timeline, you would need to find the right people. Well, that takes time. You need to train the right people. Well, that takes time. You need to firm up their literacy and their skill sets and their background. All of that takes months to years. And even we're willing to work with those groups immediately and produce translation immediately. Even in the slow down pace, it still deducts years off of the process. That's incredible. That's so great. So then yeah, this would be a good time to, and I've got a few more questions for you, but this would be a good time because when you and I have got, been getting to know each other, you had mentioned Bruce Smith's book, right? Living Translation, Their Stories. And I would recommend anyone who wants to learn, because a lot more of these stories about how God has been using the mass method is available in this book, right? How would people, if the people are listening and they want to learn more and get a copy, I know this book, you, want, you all want it to be readily available. How would they get a hold of this book that you all have written about these stories? Yeah, thank you for that. There's a little bias in me, but it's a fast-paced, fun read, I think, because it jumps around it the world. It is. Oh, with these mm -hmm. stories. So, 
There's a few different ways that it can be made available. It is on Amazon, and you can download it on a web-based version, or you can purchase it in hardcover and have it sent to you. And those are varying prices, uh, two different prices. But then there is also going to the WycliffeAssociates.org website and looking for it there in reference or BibleInEveryLanguage.org as a website to kind of look for information on that as well. There's a lot of information on both of those websites, though, and so it, it kind of gives background as well as leads to potentially how to get to that book. Okay. Yeah, because I know that you mentioned it to me while we were overseas together, <laughs> and so I just downloaded it, and on the plane home just read it, and it was, you know, could put it onto my Kindle app on my tablet, and it was really a nice, that's a nice way to do it, and then have since gotten a, uh, you know, some hard copies as well uh, that we're then sending to our people, and I would just echo what you said. It's a nice, fast read, and certainly if you want to know more about exactly how God is using this masked method to good deal. So, Dan, let me just ask you, I've got at least two more things I want to talk to you about. Obviously, when we first heard about the mass trust translation method, and now you're talking about, as you just said, we're doing Bible translation in weeks a lot of times rather than 7, 9, 10, 20 years. The first question that we had was, there's got to be, hey, what's the catch, <laughs> right? And I'm sure you get that a lot. So what is your, your kind of standard answer if there are people who are, who are listening and they're going, yeah, I mean, the Bible translation is hard. You want to get it right. And, right? And so what is your, your general response to that when you, when you uh, I'm sure you're hearing that all the time from people. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it is almost a disbelief uh, to some extent, but here's the best approach that I found is you you can think through this logically in so many different ways. You can think through this technically in so many ways, but you can also think through this spiritually. And I like to start there with a third. If you talk about what Bible translation should do, talking about the details is a great thing. Nobody wants to sacrifice quality. And that becomes an absurd argument to think and somebody involved in Bible translation would say, oh, it's okay to do less than the best quality. And that's not that's ever right. going to be... The discussion. So let's take a spiritual measure. Scripture says what Scripture should do. In other words, if Scripture is in people's hands, what should we see? Well, it's in the Bible. There should be life change. There should be salvation decisions. There should be good teaching. There should be all kinds of things that are recorded in Scripture. Well, let's measure that. I also, again, appreciate your reference to the book. It is undeniable from around the world that spiritual change is coming. If we were doing something of low quality, lesser quality, I don't think that change comes. I don't think God blesses that work the way he's blessing it today. And so we're talking about just in sheer number, going from a project in Nepal in 2014 to a global wide movement of partners and churches to over a thousand languages by the end of 2017. God is breathing into this involving the church. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Another way is to look at the technicality of, of Bible translation and say, what are the details that you look for in quality? Well, the markers of quality begin with four foundational characteristics, accuracy, naturalness, clarity, and acceptability. And those are measured pretty fiercely in all translation methodologies. Okay, and so as we do that, there's a different question. And the question is, who gets to measure that? And in prior models, 
the Westerners, with their training programs, get to train people to come measure that as outside and involved influences into the translation that say, let's take a look at the quality. Those are good things. Our model basically says, let the local church do it. Because if you think about the timeline of Bible translation, it began decades ago when the church was still being planted. Today, that church is growing and, in some respects, extremely strong, more strong than we identify with. And those leaders get to judge the quality of translation in the first language that they're familiar with. That's a great acceleration right there. But let's logically look at this. One of the myths of Bible translation is good translation takes time. Let's logically think about anyone who is writing anything. Let's take a dissertation for a PhD, and they're going to do that. Would that dissertation for the PhD be good in 10, 20 years' time? Does it make it actually better versus if they do it in a way that analyzes the thing that they're looking at in real time? In 10, 20 years of time, asking somebody to say, why did you write that? Why did you put that particular verse in that particular grammatical structure? And they're reflecting on some things from six months ago and trying to remember why they phrased it that way. It's not working. And they cannot reflect on that in a way that is alive and memorable. But the reality is they're not reflecting on things six months down the road. They're reflecting on things years down the road. Let me take any person listening and say, you tell me why you wrote down something two years ago and why that I should trust that as good quality. It's not even a conversation. You almost have to get inside the translation process again at the time of checking because of the reality of the resources that are at the table. Well, we remove all of that, and we say in real time, you wrote and drafted this verse in the morning. Now, by the afternoon, we're going to take the same markers of quality, and we're going to ask you questions about them in the afternoon. And we're going to insert everything we've got, the pastors and the church leaders and those familiar with biblical background, into the middle of that circle of checking. And then they're going to evaluate that verse today. It's just much more alive. It's more fast. It's more understood. And it's collectively cohesive. Again, we're into a resource issue, though. And you do get into some villages where the biblical backgrounds are not as strong. Well, we know that. And we identify that. And those projects do take longer. They don't take 10 years, 20 years, even seven years. They take a gathering of resources that may happen over months at a time. You might see a project stretch into two to three years because you've got to reach out to the, the church a little bit harder and a little bit longer. Okay. That's how wow. we approached it. But, yeah, it's a, it's a very in-depth look, and we measure carefully. Right. So maybe that's a good time for me to ask a sort of a follow-up question, which is, uh, you know, you and I have already been talking about this, and so we're, just to give the listener a little bit of a preview, so as an organization, we've decided to move towards this mass translation method, and so you you all have invited me to come to your headquarters in Orlando, and so I'll begin receiving some training. Hopefully, we'll have some other staff and some people coming, and we've been so thankful for your willingness to do that, and so... In other words, I'm still learning about all of this, and you and I have talked a little bit about conference that I attended. So the as I began mentioning this mass translation method, people generally, as I was talking about it, liked it on one hand, but they kept bringing up this issue of quality checking at the end. And yet, of everything that I've heard from you and seen, you know, we're actually doing a translation project, two of them actually together, and maybe we, we go another level deeper as to what you've just mentioned in terms of 
quality checking, that seems like that's another question about this masked method. Would there be anything else you would want to say about that? It's because it, from what I'm seeing, it seems like quality is there. Other people who are involved in Bible translation say otherwise. So hit that however you want, whether that's maybe there's just a different perception. Maybe they don't know. Maybe, you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you think about that. Yeah, it's a mixture of everything, honestly. And I would approach this question with a lot of grace because there's a lot of organizations, a lot of individuals with influence out there who are saying things, and they're struggling in the change, and that's okay. And we all have to approach that from our perspectives. And so there's a respect to that as well. The one thing I ask for, though, is if you have commentary towards MAST, you have to be in the middle of it, and you have to get the logic of it behind the scenes. And so if you see it, from a paper perspective, I've read all about it and I know you have not experienced it because it's a teaching model. And a lot of people are approaching this from a, a linguistic model that says, I know process of translation and I know what quality looks like and MAST fails here, for example. Well, a teaching model is not based upon a clean measurement of fail or not fail. It's based on who's in front of me and how do I work towards success no matter what's in front of me. So if you want to pick out a project and say, MAST did this, and they give a, a critique on process, which is generally the case. MAST did this, and we didn't like the process that they went through. The problem is you can't measure the process because we might be dealing with illiteracy in the middle of the process, and we had to change our procedures and how we're using the methodology to reach those illiterate translators and try to get something done. Whereas when you measure product, we're on equal ground. So the truth is there is not a review anywhere from an outside organization that's not partnering with us that has done a product review of textual criticism. There is a handful of process papers written. And out of that handful, there is one or two that have been involved in MAST. The rest have not been involved in MAST. It's been the outside looking in. So. Basically, what I'm saying is I do not mind a voice of criticism. I openly invite a voice of criticism from anyone, anywhere, anytime. What I can't speak to or spend my time speaking to is all the people out there on the outside who haven't experienced it saying, this is what I think. Well, that's great. How about we partner and then say, this is what we think, and let's go forward together in that process. Um, there's too many variables from somebody on the outside trying to look in and not having had the learners in front of them or the translators in front of them. Right. Well, that makes sense, right, that it's like people that I've talked to over the years. I know you guys have now gotten the copies of my book, which was the attempt was to clarify Western perceptions about China. And what always drives me crazy a little bit is someone who's making commentary about China, but they've never traveled there. They don't know any Chinese, right? It's that kind of right. that same idea, kind of like, well, yeah. you're speaking to something that you really, you really don't know about. And so it sounds like you're saying some of that same thing. Yeah. And even the criticisms. I love reading them, honestly, for the criticisms of people who were present. And so it's inviting traditional partners to the table and saying, go ahead and openly critique us. So when you really read through them, it's, well, this is what I would do. And it's like, well, that's not really a criticism. That's you trying to make the methodology come back to your terms. And right. so that's not fair either. And say, you know, how about let's look at the product because in the audience of the critique, I'm given a truthful example. I've had critiques where 
half of the people were illiterate, and that's not even written into the critique. It's like, wait a second. We put out a book of Mark and Romans with illiterate people at the table as half the group. We should be rejoicing and praising God for what happened. And you can critique all day long, and then let's truthfully look at the measurement of, in that two weeks of time where we put those books together, critique me however you want, and tell me the timeline of making it as high quality as you want. And you can't make 10 years out of that. You can make weeks or months out of that. And so that's what I would love for people to see. And I have a burden for critics to see it that way. I am more than willing to be open with everything that we've got, as long as you can honestly say, how can I make this work in a new system, not change it back to the old system. And that's usually the critiques we get is, yeah, this, this might be good, but if you, only, if you do these five things, it would be better. And those five things are exactly the opposite of what we set out to do. Oh, so, right, right. right. Yeah, it makes it really hard to have a, things. Right. Right. So it's hard to make it a a good conversation. But on the positive end of all of this, we have over 20 organizations who have adopted this as a methodology now, and they have committed decades to Bible translation. They're not willing to change everything they do for any other reason than saying this works and it has impact. And so that's out there. And we have not written enough reviews from their voices yet. And that's something that we have to work on and change. Yeah, that would be really helpful, wouldn't it? I mean, just uh, anytime you can yeah, begin yeah. telling the stories, that's, that'd be good. So, so, Dan, I know we've got probably three or four other things that we could talk about. So we'd love to have you back on the podcast and to talk more. Especially, I think, if you need to be journey together and be able to, you know, as our organization becomes more and more of a independent Bible translation organization through the training that you all are providing. In other words, I'll know more to, you know, ask you. So for now, tell us, tell everyone, you know, the main ways you'd kind of mentioned a little bit with the book, but what are the main ways that people can get involved with Wycliffe Associates, um, websites, main needs that you guys have, whatever you want to be able to communicate to folks who are listening? Yeah. So thanks uh, again for that platform. In this partnership, so the things that I'm saying, I believe relate to both of us. And I thank you for the partnership. It's been a real blessing to me and a a great motivation to say, oh, let's let's do more. So um, I thank you for your vision. Mm -hmm. So I would basically say there's certain needs that we're both going to have. We're both going to need money to fund these projects over time. You have a heart for China and language groups. And I don't anticipate uh, going slow the more you learn. And so funding those projects is going to be a great need. But also people involvement is huge. We need everything from facilitators to national language speakers to technology people to all just get involved. And there's a lot of ways to do that. As we build projects together, being part of a team to go and actually help train and facilitate and hand off the program to the nationals is huge. So we often need bilingual speakers around the world. We need bilingual speakers to provide resources in translation. And so you can do that from home. We have programs where we teach people online and then they do translation for us for materials that go abroad. So we can involve people right from their couch in the in the living room. We also have courses here in Orlando that you mentioned that are ongoing. There's three 10-week sessions a year that have a variety of training programs that say, here's where we need help. These courses are created to be an expression of where we need help and how you can get involved. 
And so people can come to Orlando and take these courses. We will eventually be offering these in churches around the country. As people come, they'll be able to offer these same courses within their church as well. And then we need people to get involved in the programs themselves. We do some of this math methodology online. We are doing things in Russia that have VMAST as part of a program. It's a virtual math training to where it's one-on-one translation. That takes a facilitator here to meet with a facilitator there, sometimes in English, sometimes we need Russians to do it. So we have, again, people who can get involved at at home. The project's abroad, the project's in Orlando, and then it's technology needs. To do these programs, we need people who can go and actually facilitate the technology tools. We do a lot of this on tablets, sometimes on laptops, sometimes we do oral language recordings, and so all of that needs editing, and then we do sign language projects as well. So we need videographers, and so there's just a list of jobs, and those can be seen on the WycliffeAssociates.org website for here's some current needs, and here's WAVE classes that you can get involved in. Those are our programs in Orlando to learn. And then there's BibleInEveryLanguage.org. You can kind of see the infrastructure of what we're doing. And say, we want to have free, open source access to scripture for all languages for all of time. And that takes a lot of work. A lot of Bibles out there are not free and open. In fact, most of the Bibles that we use commonly are locked down by copyright. We're also providing Bibles in, in languages that are known to be free, accessible, and used for translation, but used for anyone that can hit the print button on a keyboard. So there's a lot of efforts and a lot of people to get involved in, a lot of things. That's great. Let me ask you, just because it's something I've been interested in, because I've learned about this uh, English translation that you all did to be able to use as a source text, right? Uh, Where can that be? Can that be accessed by anyone? Is it on a website somewhere? Or it'd be interesting to read through it. Yeah. Again, BibleInEveryLanguage.org, either one. And yeah, we did that basically it's for translation. It's actually a updated version of a American Standard version because it okay. was non-copyrighted. And so it's got a good quality background. And so we updated it for common language because about 100 years old now. And then we are using that for translation to be an offspring of open source translation texts. Okay. Isn't that great, though, that you guys have developed these open source Bibles to kind of as a source text, right, for Translation, that's really cool. So, Dan, when we have you next time, let's talk more about that. Because even you think about doing another English Bible translation, right? I'm assuming you used this mass method of translation in English, which is, and I'd love to learn more about that. But you've given the website. I'd encourage everyone to go there and to, yeah, check out what they're doing. Because this is revolutionary stuff, it seems. God's really at work within this ministry. Uh, Dan, thanks for for being with us on the podcast, and we'll look forward to having you again soon. Yeah, anytime. We'd love to. Ladies and gentlemen, I really hope that you enjoyed that interview episode with Dan Kramer with Wycliffe Associates. He gave you all of the content in terms of how to get in touch with him. I know that uh, even if you did a Bible, a uh, Google search rather, for Wycliffe Associates, you'll find all their information. And so, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We sure appreciate you. Of course, in terms of our ministry, we'd love to hear from you all. We're at 18catalyst.org. My Twitter handle is at missionsmike. Would love to hear from you. Let me say, too, just really briefly, as it relates to this podcast, it looks like the feed 
changed just a, a little recently. We had a, a friend do a little uh, work for us, a little online work. And so make sure you're subscribed. Go to iTunes and you can just look us up now, Made for Missions, under Made for Missions or under 1-8 Catalyst and it'll come up. You'll see our logo. It actually looks a lot better than it used to. And so the feed on iTunes, but what we're finding is people have to go back in there and subscribe. It's essentially like a new podcast, but all 73 episodes are on the iTunes feed. So be sure you do that. So, hey, listen, we sure appreciate y'all. Sure, sure appreciate y'all listening. And you're the ones that we're so thankful for because with our heart that we believe that the Great Commission is a command for all Christians. I know that it is m many of these, uh, you all listeners, that are those people that believe that too and are out there actually doing the work, and we're so thankful for y'all. Keep at it. Keep going. There are still some, what, 40, for some 40, over 40% 40 of the world's population still unreached and unengaged, and so we need more laborers out in the field, and we know that you all are some of the best laborers out there, so we sure appreciate you guys. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of the Made for Missions podcast.